From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. After years of anticipation, the start of the 2017 football season and the mega matchup with Michigan have finally arrived. With this historic opener serving as the jumping off point for a new season of Gator football, that also means we have a lot of ground to cover on our third season premiere. Coming up, we'll get a full breakdown of the squad's biggest strengths and storylines from FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Check in with linebacker and Dallas native Kylan Johnson and hear from his new position coach, Tim Skipper. But just as the Gators aren't wasting any time getting into the meat of their schedule, let's jump right into a wide-ranging chat about the 2017 season and the matchup with the Wolverines with Scott and Chris. Before discussing the inevitable questions about the quarterbacks and the impact of the suspensions, we began by addressing the magnitude of the orange and blue lining up against such a bold-faced opponent on day one. Well, Adam, it's pretty unique because I've got the media guide opened up as you asked this question. And I'm looking at the last time the Gators have opened the season, Chris, outside the state of Florida. Do you know when? I'm going to say 79. Chris just won the first prize of this show. <laughs> what does he win? I, uh, you know, I'm going to give him a, a uh, Albert bobblehead. <laughs> I have a, it's somewhere in my drawer. But uh, no, seriously, I mean. At Houston in 1979, the last time the Gators have opened a season outside of its home state or their home state. And, yeah, Adam, it's a, it's a different kind of feel for this season opener. Uh, you know that it's an immediate test for this program going into Jim McElwain's third year. Both teams are ranked. They're playing out at Jerry World, one of the great stadiums in the country, AT&T Stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys. So you got that glitz factored in. You got, you know, Emmett Smith's getting involved former Cowboys so there's a lot of a lot of buzz around the game a lot of fun things around the game but it's going to come down Saturday uh it's a big game for Florida and I say that because we all kind of remember how Michigan beat them up uh, a couple of years ago at the bowl game and Jim McElwain opened this week by saying uh, he remembers it too and uh he still thinks uh, the Gators are going to have to step up but show more muscle than they did in that game because they really got beat up on the line He's talked all preseason camp, Chris. The offensive line is what he sees as a streak of this team. I mean, so that tells me that he thinks they toughened up. Well, too, let's go back two years ago um, to the fact that uh, uh, when they got here, I believe, I'm thinking it was Trip Thurman, was the only player mm-hmm. started a game for the Gators on the offensive line. That has since uh, taken care of itself over the course of the season when you're talking about Martez Ivy at left tackle, you're talking about TJ McCoy, who was a true freshman last year, excuse me, a redshirt freshman last year who jumped in at center. Fred Johnson uh, uh, at right guard. Juwan Taylor, the true freshman last year, really took over that right tackle spot. And Tyler Jordan, who's a guy who's played all three positions, he's now the top sub on that unit. So uh, they have more depth. And bottom line is, um, we've talked about this ad nauseum, Jim McElwain's first season, they were next to last in the league in offense. Last season, they were last in the league in offense and had the worst rushing attack. That absolutely has to change, Adam. If the Gators are going to take the next step, it's to be more productive on offense, move the chains, help this rebuilt defense out, 
And, um, you know, but basically take the next step in what Jim McElwain was hired to do. People ask him all the time, you come here to fix a broken offense. And he's very quick to point out and accurately so. Uh, he was also hired to win the East Division, which he's done two years in a row. All right, we got that. Check that off our box. Next thing we want to see now and what fans certainly want to see is uh, some fireworks when it comes to uh, to offense. And the first chance will come against a very, very good Michigan team. You mentioned that, uh, Scott mentioned that 1979 against Houston. Um, I'll raise the ante here. The last time they played a non-conference opponent in a non-bowl game away from uh, or out of the state, was against Syracuse in 1991, and that was a 38-21 massacre when uh, Spurrier's second season. So this is very new stuff. I mean, uh, all teams in college basically play, you know, go on the road and play decent opponents or play Power Five opponents. Florida hadn't been able to do that relative to their schedule because you always play Florida State at the end. You got Georgia right. neutral side game, and just the logistics of the schedule making in the SEC the way as it pertains to Florida with that FSU game at the end, hasn't permitted that. So a lot of interesting dynamics on that front, but uh, here's the Gators against Michigan in Dallas, Texas, hundred thousand people mm-hmm. in the house. Pretty damn good way to open a football season. In terms of the challenge of the game, we'll talk about that in a second, but I think regardless, it's important to note this type of game, it just raises your profile. I mean, even watching SportsCenter the last couple of days, they've got special reports from Florida, from Michigan. They've got the same thing going for Alabama and Florida State. I understand the mechanics of the schedule, but can you guys just touch on what it means for the profile of the program to be in a kickoff classic like this and, and what it helps do for things like recruiting and other important parts of the, the lifeblood of Florida football? Well, one of the things McElwain said from the time he had his press conference when he was first hired, we talked about Florida's brand being so powerful. And it's a brand that warrants games like this. You play a team like Michigan, which won more games than any program in college football history, I think I read somewhere. Um, I, I would say that's as big as it gets, but Alabama and Florida State is probably, it's probably as big as it gets for yeah. Florida. Dallas is going to be the center of the universe for Florida fans. And certainly when you have Jim Harbaugh on the other side, who is the lightning rod coach in college football right now, for good reason, he brings it upon himself. I think he invites all the controversy. I think he loves it, puts a lot of attention on him versus uh, on his team, which is uh, something uh, a coach who now has an office down the hall from me used to uh, fare quite well at doing back in the 90s. Yeah, it's more than anything. They're talking about this game like it does matter. Right, right. <laughs> you know, they played a season opener these last uh, 27 years, but not all of them really, you know, they don't get much attention when you're playing Miami of Ohio and Salido, Citadel. But, you know, they're getting a lot of attention. You know, you saw each team is wearing uh, a kind of altered uniforms courtesy of Nike, just little stuff like that. I mean, that does go a long way in the recruits mind and certainly among the fan base to generate excitement. And uh, it just feels it almost feels a little bit like going into an SEC championship or a playoff game, game. or, yeah, or, or a playoff, playoff game. game. And we, you know, we haven't had that. So it's a, it's a nice change of pace, Adam. There have been so many questions about how this is going to be different for the team because they're opening up against Michigan and not Miami of Ohio, as you say. And Jim McElwain has been very coy about this. You know, he says it's the most important game because it's the next game. You sort of downplayed the impact from what you guys have seen being around the players and around the program during this prep time. What has been different? Because undoubtedly, it's got to be a little bit different when you're facing a top 10 team like Michigan as opposed to a team everyone knows you're, you're going to beat by 30 or 40. Well, I do think there's been a more urgency level. I mean, they talked about that was going to be the case. I think you've seen that. But 
a lot of that has to do with they're going into a season with the familiar problem. They don't have a starting quarterback, some guy that's kind of established and ahead of the race where they started to prayer for the season. I mean, that, that's really been the overlying theme of, of the whole camp. That's kind of been everything's played off of that. And, of course, you had the suspensions to some players, which uh, changed the storyline for a few days. But as the game week's here, it's back on the quarterback. It's back on two top 25 teams, two story programs playing. And for Florida, it, it really does go back in a lot of ways to where they were when they played Michigan two years ago and got thumped. They know that where they want to go, where Jim McElwain wants to go, if you can't beat Michigan, which, you know, Michigan and Florida on paper, I mean, this is kind of a toss-up. If you can't beat a team like Michigan at this pace, then that tells you, might still be a little ways away. So I think that's going to be the main thing they learn, obviously. I think in the last, the way the schedule has been over the last three decades almost, you know, you could you could work out some issues. Right. First games, the way, you know, yeah. whether it was Eastern Kentucky, you got in the first week and then Idaho the second week or just a place like that. These suspended players were, were missing a UMass game. Uh, they weren't missing a Michigan game. So there's a, you're not going to hide any of your weaknesses um, in a game against mm-hmm. Michigan. We're going to be out there for everybody to see. Now, having said that, Gator fans are thinking, oh, what's our quarterback going to be, blah, blah, blah. So, well, let's flip it around. Michigan has some issues, too. They have to replace 16 starters. Wow. Uh, who you are in week one is obviously isn't going to be who you're going to be Thanksgiving weekend, Adam. But at the same time, this this will certainly give uh, uh, Florida fans and, and Jim McWain and his coaching staff a hell of a barometer, a hell of a gauge right out of the box on uh, what's good, what's bad, and what needs to be fixed. There's been so much attention throughout the offseason on the quarterback position. And, and early in the week, we didn't even think we'd know who was going to play Saturday. We didn't know if all three guys would play. And then finally, Jim McElwain gave some clarity on Wednesday and announced that Felipe Franks would be the starting quarterback, which surprised a lot of people. So, Scott, I'm curious what you saw and what they saw out of Franks that made him the right guy starting out of the gates. Well, Franks has, you know, really did show improvement all through camp coming off the spring when you know, him and Kyle Trask had the battle, and uh, he was a top-depth chart coming out of spring. And, I, you know, and then, of course, a lot of things changed over the summer when, you know, Luke Del Rio, he gets back into the mix, he gets healthy, decides he still wants to play. And then, of course, the big news over the summer, Adam, was when they brought in Malik Zaire. And, you know, a lot of the fan base and a lot of the uh, media kind of automatically assume, well, Frank, see, he must not be the guy if they're bringing in a fifth-year graduate transfer from Notre Dame for only one year. But you know what? Frank's, I think, proved that he is the guy, at least to start the season. Jim McElwain said it after his press conference on Wednesday, said, you know, he deserves it. I mean, he went out there. He kind of embraced the battle that was presented to him. He showed a lot of improvement. And when it comes down to really what makes him stand out in the competition, Adam, I think it's more than anything. He's got the biggest arm of the three by far. I mean, he's a guy that has big play capability on every snap. If he, you know, he can throw the ball deep down the field. And when Jim McElwain's talked about this offense this year, I mean, it's an offense that, you know, has been in the lower half of the SEC. Uh, certainly near the bottom nationally in his first two years. It's been a defense that carried him. He knows for the offense to catch up, they need to create more big plays. I think more than anything, maybe that helped uh, Felipe Franks in this competition because he doesn't have the experience, but, you know, just watching him, watching him uh, grow through the spring and the summer, he definitely has the potential to make those big plays. And I think with the, the skilled players around him, I think McElwain and his staff, offensive coordinator Doug uh, Nussmeyer, 
I think they just see a good match there, at least potentially to to be the guy to uh, you know get this offense jump started and start making big plays that we haven't seen in a while. I guess it's dangerous to make predictions at this point, especially the way the week has played out, but. Are we expecting to see the other two quarterbacks in this game? Is it going to depend on what happens? What's your feel for that? You know, he was kind of coy on that today. He said basically, you know, they they still have – they're still moving forward with the plan to get all those guys still taking reps and practice, still being engaged in the game plan. Uh, I think maybe a lot of it could be basically how the game turns out Saturday. How's the flow of the game? You know, Frank – best case scenario for the Gators obviously is for Franks to come out perform well and uh, make the plays avoid mistakes and uh, that you know show that he can he can uh, carry the offense and maybe if he struggles at times maybe they, they go to a different look or you maybe you just get one of those other guys in there uh, depending on the flow of the game to give Michigan's defense a different look for a series or two and try to go back to Franks so uh, we're all going to find that out together on Saturday, Adam. But as of right now, you know, I got to believe that they'd love to see uh, Felipe Franks go out there, put up some big numbers, and uh, make it an easy decision for them. One thing that won't be working to Franks' advantage is having a full complement of his skill position players. The news this week also that not only is Antonio Callaway among the players out, but so too is Jordan Scarlett. That was revealed on Wednesday as well. So, yeah, there's there's 10 guys in that group, Scott. Those are the two biggest names. But just talk about the impact of not having those players and how Florida plans to compensate, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Well, there's no there's – no, uh glossing over it you know when you go into a game against Michigan to open the season without your leading returning rusher and Jordan Scarlett and obviously we knew about uh, the leading receiver Antonio Callaway for a couple weeks now yeah that's gonna that's gonna throw a wrinkle into your offense and uh, I think they've they've got enough depth at both positions that I think you know they're confident that they they can overcome the loss of those guys, but still a big adjustment, especially with Scarlett's coming so late here in game week. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we're probably going to see little Michael P. Ryan and Mark Thompson a lot. And uh, an interesting tidbit that McElwain said today was look for freshman uh, Malik Davis uh, from Tampa to get a lot of reps. And I can tell you just from watching him in a scrimmage recently, I mean, he's a guy that definitely catches your eye. He's a, he's kind of breakaway back. Uh, that can get out in space and, uh, you know, outrun people. And uh, the Gators really, I don't know if they have that right now with what they have. They haven't had that in a while. Scarlett's a really good uh, back. I don't know if he's kind of got the breakaway speed that Davis has. But uh, either way, they're just going to have to rely on those guys. They have experience, especially Thompson and uh, P. Ryan. And uh, you just hope that they can contribute and help Franks out some because you're going to have to get your running game going you don't want to put everything on Felipe Franks in his first career start. Uh, they're just going to have to have guys step up at him. I mean, that's the only way you can say it. Well, and something that seems to be working to their advantage is the fact that Florida now has more weapons than they've had in each of the last two years. Now, talk about some of the options that Florida has to go to between receivers, running backs, tight ends. I mean, this is a pretty dynamic group on offense for the first time. The skill position players on offense, I mean, that's as good of a group as they've had in several years, I think. Certainly as deep of a group. And so you're without Antonio Callaway. But I, I like the way Josh Hammond has come on. I mean, he's a guy that he looks like he's going to be in position to have a really nice season if he stays healthy. Right there with him, you got, you know, Freddie Swain. 
But really, when you start looking at the, the players, two guys that stand out when they have the ball in their hands, kind of like Callaway does, are uh, Kadarius Tony, the true freshman, and Dre Massey, the, the transfer last year who they hyped up and that the fans were excited about. And then he goes out in the first game, catches the kickoff, hurts his knees out for the year. Well, he's back, he's healthy. And the, so, you, you know, you're adding two guys there who have similar skills and Callaway, so I don't really see Callaway. Would they want him to be out there if they could? Sure, of course. I mean, he's a, he's an excellent player. But I think between the guys we just mentioned, and then I think tight end could be as just as solid of a group as any uh, maybe in the country. Between Siante Lewis, DeAndre Goolsby, Kamore Gamble, who's from a true freshman from Miami, I think maybe his upside is as high as any. So, so I do think. Uh, offensively, the loss of Callaway can easily be overcome by just uh, those guys who I just mentioned. If we're polling each of you, and I'm, I'm curious if your answers are going to be different or, or the same here, which position group do each of you think are the biggest strength of the team as we go into the start of the season? You know, when I when I look at the position groups, Adam, I really do think. McElwain's talked about the offensive line. Uh, it's not going to be quite as deep this game because they are missing one guy, Kadeem Telfort a true freshman out of Miami who, who is one of those suspended players. He would have probably gotten some reps behind Ivy possibly. Without him around that left tackle, you have uh, probably Tyler Jordan maybe sliding over there on the depth chart at least. So, you know, I look at running back as a key and on defense, I think he just starts up front. I mean, there's a lot of good players back up front, uh, you know, between C.C. Jefferson and Jordan Sherritt and, I mean, Taven Bryan has kind of been the potential breakout star of this team. If you listen to the preseason hype, listen to the players. Coaches have raved about him. Players have raved about him. And if you've seen Taven Bryan, you know you know that he's got all the physical gifts to be a, a really good defensive tackle in the SEC. So, you know, you, you, those names are just some of the ones I mentioned there. Uh, Jabari Zaniga. I mean, I, th- I like that front line on defense. The coaches, specifically Coach McElwain, have been talking about this offensive line. Okay, let's let's see something from the offensive line at last. I mean, they're they're they've really praised Brett Hagee um, at that left guard spot. He's a redshirt freshman who's going to obviously be getting his first chance. Uh, Fred Johnson did play right tackle last season and mm-hmm. and dropped down to that right guard position um, uh, after Juwan Taylor kind of solidified his place on the outside there. So this is the position group that. McElwain has talked about being their best. So, uh, uh, you know, play your best to go out and prove you're the best. And if the, there's all this uncertainty at quarterback, it sure would uh, make things a lot easier for whoever's under center if those guys up front are providing some protection and making some holes for the running game. Bottom line, like Chris said, if they win this game, there will be a lot of talk about the offensive line afterward. If they lose it, there'll be a lot of talk about the offensive line. Afterward. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one thing that doesn't get talked about as much as it probably should, and, you know, we always notice it when it's not there, but I think we should talk about the, the specialists as well because when you look at the combination of Townsend and Pinheiro, I mean, those guys could easily be Groza Award and Ray Guy Award finalists at the end of the year. I mean, it could be really, really critical having a kicker and a punter that are among the best in the country. McElwain uh, brought that up in his uh, news conference Monday. He said our kicking specialists can make plays for us and, and – further position them to, uh, you know, have success because obviously Pinero, especially kicking indoors, uh, we've seen YouTube of what is, uh, of what his leg strength and what his range might be. And certainly that's a, it would be kind of cool to see maybe something special inside in in that big Texas stadium, whatever, but 
you know, Johnny Townsend, you can't say enough about the guy. He's been spectacular. So it's basically since he, he was given the job and uh, he pins the offense in, lets the defense, you know, kind of set the tone by putting, uh, you know, by backing up opposing offenses and what have you. But you're exactly right. Those things, those guys do need to be talked about. And, you know, kicking game is all about hitting yardage. And granted, Antonio Callaway is a special punt returner, a really, really good one. He had some he had some inconsistent uh, uh, moments last year, um, but he is obviously a game breaker back there. But we're going to see, I think, um, Dre Massey get a chance to return some punts, some kickoffs. And I think we're also see maybe Tyree Cleveland get a chance to return some kickoffs. So, well, I think Brandon Powell is the guy they'll lean on uh, sometimes back there. But uh, I think Dre Massey is someone uh, they want to see what he can do. And they just feel like, you know, they missed out on a, on a playmaker last year who, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a scrimmage and saw that guy lay out and make a Lin Swan kind of catch on a Felipe Franks bomb. His athleticism it, it will be out there for everyone to see, and it, it is special. And I think the guy has the ability to, to be a really, really good playmaker along the lines of like a true freshman Tony in the slot position. I'm going to put you guys in Jim McElwain's shoes right here. We've talked about the strengths and what we're expecting to see out of Florida that's going to be really positive. On the flip side of that, what's your biggest concern? If you're Jim Aquin going to this game, what's one maybe area of concern that you're going to have to take a wait-and-see approach on? If I'm him, I'm going to be concerned that I don't know for sure who my quarterback is. Now, he says he has a plan, which, you know, obviously uh, I think we all believe that. It might be a very good plan and might lead them to, uh, you know, win over Michigan. But anytime you go into an opener where you're kind of – either undecided about a quarterback or you're saying you might play them all three. I don't know if that's optimal for any coach. Uh, so, you know, I think that's going to be what everyone's going to be looking at Saturday, at least initially. Mm-hmm. They want to see what this group does uh, because this has been the story that was, Chris, the over – it's really been the story of the McElwain era. For a decade. Yeah, I mean – That's been the story for almost it, a decade. Yeah, and, you know – post Tebow story. I just think it's so important for this team to find that guy who, you know, maybe can actually go the season and you can build off him going into another season next year sure. because that's where you've got to have somebody back there to stabilize that position. If there's another spot uh, you want to call out maybe on the other side of the ball. It's the secondary where, you know, you got three guys who are back in Nick Washington and Chauncey Gardner and Duke Dawson. You lost Marcel Harris to a season-ending knee injury. Mm-hmm just a tragic injury to the guy uh, before the season even started. So now you got a true freshman this week atop the depth chart, cornerback position, and Marco Wilson, which is Quincy's little brother. He obviously has Quincy's bloodlines. If he has his ability to play, then the Gators should be there, but uh, should be pretty good at that position. But, you know, eventually they're going to have to play some nickel. They're going to have to play some dime, which means some guys that are unproven. you got three guys who have played back there, mm-hmm. guys I mentioned in, in Washington and in Gardner and in Dawson. So uh, whether it's it's uh, uh, Donovan Steiner, whether it's uh, C.J. Henderson, whether it's uh, Joseph Putu, those are guys, you know, who haven't played college football yet. And they're going to get a, a, a quick introduction to the spotlight in the big stadium in America. So that'll, that'll be kind of cool. And certainly that'll bear watching when uh, when Michigan has a ball. So obviously it's a, a very young secondary. And also I know linebacker is a big question in terms of depth. But Florida is pretty strong up front. I know you guys have done stories on the linebackers and some of the big guys on the defensive line here this week. Well, Adam, one guy I'm uh, writing about this week is C.C. Jefferson, the uh, junior defensive end. Uh, you know, you look at him as a guy that 
this is kind of a, an opportunity for him to be one of the Gators breakout players this year. I mean, this guy is very talented. He was sought after uh, every uh, major, you know, basically coach in the SEC. I went up to his uh, hometown in uh, Baker County this week, uh, spent a little time with his father. And he was telling me the place we were hanging out, his father's car wash. He said basically Nick Saban, Hugh Freeze, uh, Les Miles, basically every coach in the SEC has been right that little spot coming to try to get CC. And obviously, Jefferson chose Florida, and uh, they're glad that they uh, he did. And, uh, you know, it's a big opportunity for him this season. Before we wrap our, our football portion of the conversation, I'm curious for your, your takes on Michigan. You know, what have you seen from them? They don't have a depth chart out as of, uh, as of press time. But with what you've seen from Jim Harbaugh teams in the past, what are your expectations for what the Wolverines will bring to the table? No, I mean, they're going to be big and physical up front. That's really what caused Florida so much trouble in the game two years ago. And, you know, you look back at that game, they had a great great quarterback play that day in the Citrus Bowl. They also had 502 yards of total offense. And, you know, that makes a huge difference. But I think under Harbaugh, you know, he's, he's obviously a, a guy who knows offense. That's his background. He's good with quarterbacks. You know, there's still some questions with about their quarterback, but I don't think they're as deep of questions like such as Florida's. I think he's just kind of toying with it. But, uh, you know, I think really the challenge for Florida is are they going to be able to match up with their toughness? And that's what Michigan brings uh, right from the start. That's what they've done under Harbaugh. It's kind of a tradition in that program, obviously. They've always been a physical program, and, and the Gators are trying to get there. I believe they'll be – a confident team, Adam, because I think there'll be a reflection of the coach. And I think that coach always confident. He's got a swagger about him. I think it, it works and it'll play out well in a, in a game with this of this magnitude and, you know, in this this kind of exposure and what have you. Well, a lot of people are tuning in to Gator Athletics starting this week with football. It is worth noting that last week soccer and volleyball got off to not just good starts their year, but unbelievable starts. And on the same day at home, they did something historic. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, so- soccer began last Friday by beating Stanford, the number one team in the country. It's the first time Florida had ever beaten the number one soccer, a number one team in soccer on campus here. A phenomenal win came from behind uh, from a 2-1 deficit to win the game 3-2. to A uh, great win for Becky Burley, whose team, like, shot up the rankings, followed it up by beating Syracuse Sunday, shot up the rankings. They now are ranked uh, second in the country. And that's the highest, Adam, the soccer program has been ranked since 1999. Of course, they wow. won the national trip in 98. Yeah, so congratulations to her. And mere hours after that soccer match had wrapped, Mary Wise's volleyball team played number one Texas and beat number one Texas in front of 7,500 people. It was just a fantastic atmosphere in the O-Dome. Uh, the crowd was into it, and obviously the, the team responded. And the next day, Florida goes up against number five, Nebraska, and beats number five, Nebraska. So now Florida has knocked off a couple top five opponents in volleyball, and uh, they've shot up the rankings. The soccer team has shot up the rankings. Uh, they've certainly done their part to get this athletic season off uh, to, a, to a great start, and now it's the football team's chance. And uh, certainly Jim McElwain would like to take some of that volleyball and soccer mojo and roll it on over to Dallas. All right, before we wrap here, it's time for our Gator Tales PAT. It's something new we're going to do this year with Chris and Scott. Uh, something that's going on outside of the realm of Gator sports that everybody's talked about because these guys are first and foremost. They are longtime sports writers who've covered a variety of different athletics. So I'm going to talk about the big fight last week. I'll preface this by saying I did not watch the Mayweather fight because I have a strong disliking for Mayweather, number one. And number two, I didn't think it'd be entertaining, and I've heard mixed reviews on whether it was or not. Here's my question for you guys. 
Mayweather claimed this as his 50th victory to go 50-0 and and set a new record surpassing Rocky Marciano, who was 49-0. Now, the Marciano family says that's not right. You're claiming a victory over an amateur boxer as your 50th professional win. And I would tend to agree with that. Similar to my comparison was it would be like Billie Jean King claiming a women's tennis victory when she beat Bobby Riggs in an exhibition. So do you guys think this should count as the 50th professional win for Floyd Mayweather or should it not because Conor McGregor is not actually a professional boxer? What was the purse, as it were? We don't know yet. I mean, Mayweather could make as much as $200 million. McGregor could make $100 million. Okay, so this was not an exhibition, in my opinion. So uh, it counts as a fight. McGregor was trying to kill Mayweather and vice versa. To to call it anything but a... But a fight would be ludicrous. I mean, I, I have sympathy for the Marciano family, obviously. And that's a name that, you know, a lot of people don't talk about over, you know, over the years. And it's probably been forgotten in a lot of ways. But uh, Merriweather won that fight, I would think, fair and square. It should certainly – everyone called it a fight. Maybe it was a little bit of a circus, a little bit of a freak show in that regard. But everyone knew it was going to be a fight. It was played under boxing rules. So to call it anything other than a boxing match, I think, kind of does a disservice to two guys who went out there and uh, were fighting in a in a boxing ring. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Chris on this one. Uh, Conor McGregor, while – yeah, you can make the argument that he's not a pure boxer – He's certainly a pure athlete. Uh, he's he's got a lot of boxing skills, uh, not to the advanced stage of Floyd Mayweather, a lifelong boxer. But here's my thing: is I guarantee if we went back and dissected Rocky Marciano's win by wins, there's going to be a couple of guys on there who are probably tomato cans. Yeah, tomato cans, <laughs> beer bellies. Uh, I I think maybe even even though in a lower weight class, I would probably take Conor McGregor over. Yeah. So. So that's how I look at it. And I, I, I do understand in Marciano's point because, you know, it's a record that's really stood for my whole lifetime. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, see it broken by a guy who, quite frankly, I'm not a big fan of either. Uh, I was hoping in some way that McCregor pulled off the, the win. I think everybody but was. To, yeah. But then I got to thinking that then we'd have to live through maybe a rematch. Sure. And I just I don't want to have to go through all the, the hype again. Okay, well, for our first Gator Tales PAT, uh, I guess I lost. I've been outvoted uh, two to one. I think you really need to go back and possibly reevaluate your career, Adam. Let's just start yelling at each other like Stephen A. and uh, yeah, no, we're Skip. we're not we're not going to to Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless levels here. Although you, okay. you might be, you guys should visit Skip Bayless. You know, he is a uh, he's a Dallas guy. So while you guys are out okay. there. Uh, check in with Skip Bayless, and of course, for everybody listening, make sure to follow along both these guys on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. They will be in Dallas with wall-to-wall coverage. You can get everything they're doing at FloridaGators.com. Gentlemen, thank you very much. We uh, we're happy to start off the season with you, and look forward to doing it again next week. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. While five current Gators hail from the talent-rich state of Texas. Only one comes from the heart of Dallas. Linebacker Kylan Johnson enters the 2017 season as a redshirt sophomore and will be expected to help lead a very young and mostly unproven unit. We first learned about Kylan's story back in episode 57, but we sat down with him again to hear his excitement about playing in his hometown and find out where the team has made the biggest strides entering this year. I can say that the team, I mean, we've bonded you know, more 
not just in between this period, um, but, you know, ever since Coach Mack got here, like, we've bonded a lot and got, like, a stronger, you know, stronger bond. And I feel like that's what we really focus on, like, during this period. And we just all understand each other, like, strength and weaknesses, you know, just good things that a team should do. This is your third go-around now, so you talk about that long process of building that trust and, and building this team. What do you think makes this group unique in that sense? We are all, we, we all hard workers. You know, we all, like, do everything to help each other. We look out for each other. Like, we're just like a big family. In what ways do you think that you've grown the most personally since last season? Probably dealing with my strengths and weaknesses. Um, becoming you know, a more, like, understanding person, like, just trying to figure out ways, like, how I can help the team, Mm -hmm. just be positive all the time, no matter what, even through the bad times, just be positive, and then just focus on, like, what's best for the team. We talked last year, just before the SEC championship, specifically about how you and David Reese really had to step up when Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone went down, but they were still there to help lead you from the sideline. How much different has it been without those guys around, and how have you adjusted to that? Sometimes, you know, I just go back and think about what they used to say when I made mistakes, and now I just I see it as, you know, they're not here no more, so now I got to grow up. Like, what would they say? What would they do? You know, just, just try to be, like, how they were. So that, that kind of helped me, um, just seeing, like, the process that they went through, even though they weren't playing, but they were still helping us out. Like, I feel like that helped me because that helped me grow up. And then I think here, I feel like that I can, or we can hold our own ground. The word leadership gets thrown around a lot. And I know there's an expectation for you to be a leader at this stage of your career. What does leadership mean to you? And how do you try and display that? Um, well, leadership means to me, like, a person that set a positive, good example. Like, nobody has to be watching you for you to do good. Like, I'm always a person that's doing the right things off the field and on the field. Like, I try to be positive, you know, try to set an example. If I see somebody doing something that's not right, I say something instead of just letting it happen. So that's what leadership is to me. Your position group is one of the bigger unknowns for a lot of fans because so many veterans left. Can you tell us about your fellow linebackers and what each one of them brings to the table? Um. Well, everybody know about Voshan. Voshan physical can tackle. Um, we also got Rayshad Jackson, who is also a physical player. And also Christian Garcia brings, like, you know, he's re- really smart. And he can he know the game of football. And, like, he's just a person that everybody likes to be with, you know, on the field. Mm-hmm. Everybody, he knows everything. Like, he's just one of those, like, really good players. So him and Rayshad Jackson – and all the others, I mean, all the others are doing just as fine as them. But, um, like I said, Rayshon and Garcia really are two good players that no one really talks about much. But I feel like they're going to help us, you know, this season big time. There's been so much talk about all the players that you lost on defense. So many big names that have moved on to the NFL. What's it been like not having those guys around? And how do you feel like you've replaced their impact? I feel like what they left, like, they left the standard. And we're going to play to that standard or we're going to play better. And we're aiming for better. We're trying to be better than them. Thinking about what you've seen from your teammates throughout the offseason and now going through camp, 
which defensive player have you seen the most improvement from from the end of last season to now? Man, that's that's hard. <laughs> oh man, oh, I mean, I feel like everybody has improved. I can't really talk about an individual like that, but I just know everybody has improved. Like certain like positions, like we've got better at, and I can I can really talk for the linebackers how. You know, we was young. We was young last year, and we made like you know young mistakes. Like, but we don't make those same mistakes that we made this past season. So I feel like, I mean, I can only talk about the linebackers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see what everybody else does, but I really just pay attention to my my own like, you know, my own position group. <laughs> I can only speak for them. Coach Shannon has been your position coach for the last two years, but now he's moved over to defensive coordinator. So what has it been like with Coach Skipper sliding in, and in what ways is his coaching style different from Coach Shannon? I mean, they both coach the same. Coach Skip, he goes into a little bit more detail. I don't know. He has all the time in the world to talk to you. So <laughs> anything that you want to know or find out, like he's always open and available. So it's really hasn't, it hasn't been a drop-off at all. It's, it's really the same. Just Coach Kip have more time probably than Coach Shannon. So, you talked a second ago about knowing the linebackers, and and that's really where you live. Does that affect the the relationship with the position coach too? Because Coach Skipper's been on the staff before, but he didn't work with the linebackers. So, did you really have a relationship with them before, or is that sort of developed now that you're working directly with him? Well, Coach Skipper was always a you know he a positive person. He always walk around cracking jokes. So, um, I mean, we had a bun, but it wasn't a bun like we have now. That's like a really, really close brother or friend to me now. Like, we talk all the time. Uh, I go up and see him in the office. It's like, you know, we created a, a, a good bun also. You talked about the defense and wanting to play to a certain standard, and certainly fans have become used to that. What people are really curious about is the offense. So, from going up against them in scrimmages and going through camp, what can you tell us about the way that they've performed in camp and which players have really stepped up on the other side of the ball? Um, well, they really have improved, and I feel like they have improved as an offense together. Like our line, um, our wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks, they've all been doing a good job this camp communicating and, and just you know sticking together even through bad times. So I feel like we really improved the offense. I feel like our quarterbacks, most definitely all of them, they really took this count like very seriously, and we got some um, results, and which is really good for us. So I feel like the quarterbacks really they really have stood out this count, and I, which which is I, I like it. Coach Mack has talked a lot about team speed being a real difference maker this year. Have you seen that on offense? In what ways have you been able to see that personally? Uh, offense with speed, oh, yeah, they really have got faster. Like, I mean, I, I feel like it's just a part of, like, communication. Like, when you know everything and you know what you're supposed to do, and you can just play faster. And I actually see it, you know, when I watch film. Like, man, like, our offense really look fast. And sometimes, like, I just be like, whoa, like, they really be moving fast like that. So, I mean, I feel like communication is a big part. And I feel like just when you know everything and when you know what you got to do, then you get the job done and you play at a faster pace. I know you probably don't want to admit this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Who's the toughest guy to tackle out there? Uh, probably uh, our running back, probably like Jordan Scarlett. 
Like he one of the dudes, you know, powerful and really fast. And Tyree Cleveland too is a big, you know, threat with the ball. He really fast and he can move and you know cut and go wherever he want to go. <laughs> Those two is they really, you know, speed. How crazy does that competition get when you guys are going in in one on ones? I mean, it's real crazy. The intensity is like out of this world. I mean, it's just a lot of it's big competition and it's fun to watch. Usually the opening game of the season's at home. It's an opponent that you're favored to beat. This is a little bit of a different situation. So what's it been like preparing for an opening game that is both on the road and also against a team like Michigan? Well, you know, just coming off of, you know, summer and, you know, going into a season opener, like I feel like, you know, everybody practicing hard. Like everybody getting prepared for the game. And I feel like we practicing just as hard as we would if it was any team that we was going against. You didn't play in the bowl game against Michigan a few years ago, but you were on the sidelines for that. How much talk has there been in the locker room about that game and wanting to have a, a better performance than you did in, in that last time against Michigan? You know, we talked about, you know, what happened and the outcome of the game that we didn't like. But, you know, we only worried about now. Like, that happened in the past, and there's nothing we can do about it. So we're just trying to make this opportunity. We're trying to make the best out of this opportunity coming up soon. You've known this game with Michigan would be happening in Dallas for a long time. How much have you been looking forward to playing in your hometown? Oh, man. I'm really looking forward to it. Like, I mean, I never imagined Florida Gators playing in, <laughs> in my hometown. I never imagined that. But now that it's happened, it's like, wow. Like, I mean, I can't believe it, but I believe it now. <laughs> I ain't got no choice but to <laughs> What are some unique things about Dallas that you hope to share with your teammates while you're there? The atmosphere, like all the traffic and the building, <laughs> stuff you don't see around here in Gainesville. And then, like, the, the stadium. Like, the stadium is so beautiful. Like, I really can't wait to see everybody face when we walk in the stadium. I guess you'll be grateful for the police escort then with all the traffic in Dallas. That's yeah, is what, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, we'll be very grateful for that. With family and friends, how many people are you expect to be there? Are you going to have a, a really big turnout? Yeah, I'm going to have a big – I'm trying to get between 15 and 20 of them. Boy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to get everybody there because we don't too much off the plan, Dallas. So. No. One of the cool things about AT&T Stadium is the video board, one of the biggest in the world. If you could put any TV show or movie up on that big screen, what would it be? I mean, I would, you know, I'll put one of, you know, our best games up, you know, so everybody can watch it <laughs> on, the, on the big board. Uh, probably um, some favorite shows I used to watch, you know, growing up. Um, I guess SpongeBob. <laughs> Man, what's that new uh, that new football show that just came out or came back out? With it, Last Chance You? Yeah, I'll put Last Chance You up. <laughs> Now, I can't really think off the top of my head, but if I had some time to think about it, I'd really give you a list. Any any movies? Any favorite movies you'd want to put up there? Probably like uh, Next Friday. Something funny. <laughs> you know, like some Madea type of movie just <laughs> people can laugh at. Final few things for you, Kylan. Uh, what were the most interesting things that you did over the summer? If you had any free time, what did you do with it away from Gainesville and away from football? Um, I travel home to Dallas. You know, I drove there 14 hours. Ooh. I drove there like two two times, I think. Yeah, I took some of my teammates home with me and let them um, experience that Dallas life. So, I mean, I, I had fun. I went to the beach a couple of times. 
um, Orlando, Tampa. Mm. Oh, I went to Miami twice too. So I just traveled a lot. Wow. You know, went everywhere. You put a lot of miles in your car. Yeah. So I've traveled, uh, you know, and worked out most of the time and focused on school a little bit. So I enjoyed this summer. It probably was one of the best since I've been here. Any funny stories about traveling around with your teammates and taking them back home to uh, to Dallas? Oh, man. Rayside and Jaheen, they love this place called Milk and Cream. <laughs> it's donuts with ice cream in the inside. Like, they love that. <laughs> and then the view... The view going down the road, going to Dallas, going through all the states, and they was amazed about seeing deers on the side of the road. Like, I didn't understand that. <laughs> they was amazed about that. So, I mean, it was fun. I'm not sure if, if you and your teammates saw this, but Marvel actually released a special comic book cover featuring Florida and Michigan in anticipation of this game. What I want to know from you is if you could be any superhero, who would it be and why? I'll be the Hulk. Be the Hulk. Hulk. Yeah, the, the Hulk fast. He big. He can jump. He's kind of scary. So <laughs> I'll be him if I could be a cartoon character. I mean, a superhero. You'd probably be able to tackle anybody, right? You'd be so big, no one could get by you. No one would be able to stop me if I was the Hulk. You could play all three linebacker spots all by yourself. <laughs> Final thing for you, Kylan. Uh, just talk about what this preparation is going to be like for Michigan. What, is, what are you going to be going through as you get ready to kick off this season in, in such a big way? Well, we're going to take it day by day, you know, study a lot of film, practice really hard, you know, and just, just have fun with it. Um, as long as we communicate and we know what to do and, you know, we see the play before it happens, like, well, you know, we're going to prepare really good for this game. So I can't wait. You know, we got some time to – think about it and study and learn everything we can about him before we get out there in front of him. All right, Kylan, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks, Adam. Athletes are often asked to play multiple positions, so it's only fair that coaches be held to the same standard. Tim Skipper serves as the Gators' running backs coach the last two seasons, but this year has shifted over to linebackers as part of the domino effect of replacing departed defensive coordinator Jeff Collins. Jeff Cardozo checked in with Coach Skip and asked him what the process has been like switching from coaching one side of the ball to the other. Yeah, I played defense, and a lot of people think I'm an offensive guy because of my dad and brother coaching on the offensive side. But really, deep down the heart, I'm a defensive guy, and it's been fun getting back on defense and working with the guys and transitioning over. So now does the, uh, the, the mentality change a little bit, maybe the way you talk to the guys? You start yelling a little bit more because it's defense and you're starting hitting some guys? <laughs> you know, it is kind of natural that defensive <laughs> coaches yell a little bit more. So it's been fun to, uh, to yell a little bit and tell guys to wrap up now instead of just breaking tackles. So just kind of flip my mind back to the defensive side, but it's kind of natural for me. But I'm sure the fun part's going to be finally playing in a game. You know, back in, you know, where I've been playing, you, there's only enough inner squads you can play and seeing the same guys doing the same thing. So you, those guys are probably just ready to see somebody else. Definitely, and there's nothing better than game day. You know, going up against somebody that you've been watching on film for as long as we have, and finally it's kickoff time and all the people are watching you. It doesn't get better than that. Well, let's talk about some of those advantages. With, with Michigan being game one, you, you obviously know that that's the opponent. You get to prepare throughout the entire summer, watching film, doing a lot of different things. How 
detail do you guys get in trying to analyze those guys, or is it maybe more about getting your guys ready and, and trying to take care of yourself? You know, as coaches, we're pretty thorough and detailed, and the, the hard thing for us is figuring out what we need the players to know. Because you can't, there is a, a theory that you can give them too much, and we don't want to do that because then they're going to start playing slow. So we give them what they need to know, we keep the scheme simple, and let them just go play hard and fast. You know, you, you obviously uh, lost, uh, at least you didn't, but the, the linebackers lost uh, Jared Davis, Alex Anzalone, a couple of veterans that were really good. But when they were out at parts of last year, you had some of these younger guys get some experience, get some playing time. How, how advantageous was that for them? Experience is everything. You have to get out in the field and play in order to get it. You know, you can just watch as long as you want, but until you're actually out there hitting and seeing the speed of the game firsthand, that's invaluable. So. We lost a lot of money in the linebacker room. They're all out there playing NFL now. But I think the, the fact that these guys have played in the games has made the transition a lot better for them to step up and get ready to play. And I remember talking to some of those guys last year, and they would attribute what they learned from Jared and what they learned from Alex. So I'm sure it was really cool for those guys to, to learn under two great guys. Definitely. And we still use the film. <laughs> I mean, uh, just yesterday we had some stuff up that they needed to see. And uh, just wanting them to play like that today, and uh, we'll see how it works. But I wanted their last bits of film to be of our guys doing good things. So hopefully it turns out to be in our advantage. Well, and speaking of film, one guy that did some really good things, I think it's fun in every highlight video imaginable, was a good old 11s hit at the goal line <laughs> on a certain LSU quarterback. How often is that played and talked about? And I, you know, I know he didn't get a ton of experience, but certainly a, a big play for him. It's funny, we were just talking as a group about him retweeting that hit once a month. <laughs> I told him, it's season time, let's stop retweeting yeah. it. Let's get some new ones. Well, and, and for those guys to, to have that too, and you know, you, you look at David Reese and you know, Jeremiah Moon didn't get a lot of experience last year, but you know, it seemed like he was the guy that maybe out of all those young guys, he got the early playing time last year. So I know you're probably pretty excited about him. Definitely, and he had that injury that set him back a little bit last year. But uh, he's had a great camp, great offseason, and I'm excited to watch him. I, mean, I, I really think he's very talented. You know, I, uh, I know you, you've heard the name, but Javon Curse. I remember Javon Curse mm -hmm. comparing him to him <laughs> and, and having say that at 6'6", six, six, he's 238, this tall, lanky dude. But just some of the things that he can do and, and just the, the versatility of what he can provide. You know, with Jeremiah, he can eat up ground. He, he's fast, and he's long-legged, and his whole body's moving as he's running. And I think getting from point A to point B is his main strength as a player. And I'm really excited to watch him. He can rush the passer. He can drop back in coverage. He can play outside back. He can play inside back. He can do all those things. So just kind of keeping it simple for him and letting him play fast has been a challenge for the coaches. But I like where he's at right now. Let's talk about David Reese a little bit. Uh, the guy probably had the, the most playing time out of all those guys. And you know, it's, it's got to be interesting for him because it's, it's Michigan. It, it's a school that, you know, he, he's from. He knows all those dudes. And, you know, from Pop Warner days, and, you know, you, you talk a lot of smack to the guys you know. So how have you tried to deal with him and knowing all these guys and how to go about playing in this game? You know, he's given us a lot of information. He probably knows them better than anybody, yeah. including some coaches when you talk <laughs> about personal stuff with the guys. So he's been valuable. I know he's excited to play. He's been talking about it for a while, and now it's that time to go out and do it. I just told him, don't have that blue flu. Just go out and play. <laughs> just be a Gator, and let's get it done. You ever been in the stadium before? I haven't. I've heard a lot about it. Family's been in there, but I haven't, so I'm excited to see. So how do you, I guess, try to 
explain to the guys about it. You just try to say, hey, it's just another football game. We all remember that video from Hoosiers. It's, you know, <laughs> 10 feet and the free throw line's the same, all this other stuff. But, you know, it is, it is big. So how do you try to control their emotions? You know, the good thing is we're in the SEC, so you're going to play in a lot of nice stadiums that are big and large and things like that. I think our biggest challenge is going to make sure everybody's not just staring at that big board, including the coaches. So it'll be fun. You know, once you get out there in the field, you don't have time for all that. you got to go play. So it'll be exciting. Let's just get it done. Yeah, and, and while playing, I think we, we all know what Michigan tries to do, and they like to, to line it up and try to run it down your throat. But I think we remember from a couple of years ago, and you look at Harbaugh over the years, there's a lot of bootlegs, a lot of different things. So you know, as you try to stop them what are some of the keys of doing that you know the first thing is playing physical and don't let all the window dressing slow you down and soften you up you have to still trigger you got to play fast the next thing is just playing smart just play smart be where you're supposed to be I think if we do those two things we'll be fine um, and then when it gets to a situation where it's uncomfortable out there we got to attack it and then we got to make it comfortable you know, the, the last thing, you know, maybe not a ton of depth there, but you got a guy like Christian Garcia, you guys give a scholarship to. So the, and there's some some other younger guys there. If you know those guys maybe aren't doing the best, you still have a little bit of depth there, don't you? Definitely. And Garcia adds versatility. He can play all three spots. He can be out and he can be in. And he's a guy that keeps the, the room going from yeah. an aspect of he's very smart, very intelligent, and he likes to to make everybody think outside the box a little bit. So it's been good to have him in the room, earned a scholarship, happy about that, and he's more than deserving of that. And uh, he's definitely one of the guys. He's not treated like a walk or anything like that. He's one of the guys. No, you described him like everybody describes you, smart and intelligent. <laughs> so, uh, Coach, thank you. Go get after it. Definitely. Thank you. Appreciate it. And go Gators. And that's going to do it for our season premiere. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on the podcast platform of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. We'd love to hear your feedback to find out more of what you want to hear on the show, so you can find us on Facebook at Gator Tales Podcast, on Twitter at Gators Podcast, or you can send an email to GatorsPodcast at gmail.com. Don't miss a minute of the action as Jim McElwain leads the Gators into AT&T Stadium for their top 20 showdown with Michigan Saturday at 3.30 on ABC and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Chompville.